HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by the International Culinary Center, offering courses that range from classic French techniques in culinary, pastry, and bread baking to Italian studies to management, from culinary technology to food writing, from cake making to wine tasting. For more information, visit culinarycenter.com. This is Chef Emily Peterson, host of Sharp and Hot. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Hello, hello, Heritage Radio Network listeners. I'm Jennifer Leitzi, and I am sitting in the shipping container in the backyard at Roberta's Pizza, and that means it is time for Tech Bites, the weekly program on the Heritage Radio Network where we talk about the intersection of food and technology. And today, that technology is business tech for restaurants and small businesses, things like Wi-Fi and payment and POS systems and VPNs and payment tokens. If you don't know what these things are and you own a small business or you're getting ready to open one, this show is for you. Here today to lead us through the the maze of restaurant and business tech systems is Phil Stead from Reliance Solutions. Hey, Phil. Hey, Jennifer. Thank you. Thank you for coming out to visit us. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. And... Today, we're going to start the show like we always do, like a good meal with something I like to call appetizer, where we go around the room and we all talk about favorite apps, old ones that we love and still use, new ones that we've just discovered. And I'm going to throw it to the booth to Jack Inslee, our engineer and the network's executive producer, who we missed last week because he was off on a trip. I sure was. I messed up your intro this week, too. See what happens when I leave for a little while? <laughs> you were excited to jump right into I it and play, the, and play the amazing theme song by Uptown Nico. I couldn't wait. Yeah, I was in Wisconsin on a cheese tour with the Wisconsin Milk Marketing Board. Got to see some cheesemakers and farms and uh, hang out with a bunch of cheese people. Good times. We love cheese, and we especially love those cheese people. Because those, yeah. those Wisconsin cheese folks are friends of the network. And if you don't know, those out there listening, Heritage Radio is a member-supported network, which means our entire budget and operating revenues come from great listeners and great companies like you all. So if you're on our website, take a look at the beating heart, click the button, and, you know, throw us throw us what you spent on coffee today. You know, like, what was that, like seven fifty for a latte? <laughs> if you send us that, we can make more radio. Anyway, I, di- I digress. So, Jack, back from Wisconsin, do you have an app that you like this week? Well, um, other than the apps that I have downloaded to legally or illegally watch my Knicks games now that basketball is back in season, I don't think that has any interest for, the, for these listeners. I'm going to just shout out Spotify, um, which I haven't used in a really long time, but I was prompted to get back on it because uh, 
plug, plug, plug. The record I produced for Odetta Hartman is doing really, really well on Spotify, apparently. So um, we just were verified as like official artists, so we get to make our own kind of curated playlists. And uh, I'm, I'm back in the Spotify world, and I, I hadn't used it in a long time. And the name of Odetta Hartman's album is 222? That's right. And if people are not familiar with her, she is a very talented and lovely uh, musician, songwriter. She's just really beautiful. I would encourage everyone to go to Spotify and check it out. Yeah. Also in the back in Mission Control, we have the new Declan. Do you have a app for us this week? Um, yeah. Um, I guess I'm kind of, I'm a little late to the game, but uh, with the, the iPhone 6, I think uh, they made a GarageBand app, which is really cool. Um, so I've been kind of like trying to make little beats on the train, which is kind of fun. Something interesting to do, something creative. So, are you in a garage band that you need beats for? Um, I am not in a garage band. No, <laughs> um, I make I make beats for myself. Yeah, just uh, hip hop and other kinds of experimental electronic music. Are you a producer or a DJ? Uh, yeah, I do both. I'm a mostly producer, but okay. Mostly producer, a little bit of DJ. We'll have to maybe in a future episode hear what that's all about. Hear some of those yeah, Subway-made garage band beats. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or you could beatbox some of them for us now, no? <laughs> <laughs> maybe. Phil, do you have an app that you like right now? Well, Jennifer, I recently went from um, being an Android guy over to iOS, and I've been feeling the pain for the last few weeks. So a lot of my prior apps, um, the rendering of those apps on, on iOS is very different. So uh, unrelated to what we're going to talk about today, but I um, do a fair amount of traveling, and I have a expense report app that I used to use. I won't name them on the air, but it's a miserable failure on iOS. So I've been um, kind of forced to move to something else. So I, I tried Expensify, which is a nifty little app. It's free, and there's a, a free license for it. And it gives you basic capability to scan receipts. It's just a really simple, nice little user experience and, you know, good for uh, business travel. So that's, that's my take. So you solved your problem. I solved my problem in a nice, quick download with an iOS-compatible app, yes. It'll be interesting. You know, Maybe you can send us uh, tweets or Facebooks or emails going forward and, and keep us appraised as to how things translate from the Android to iOS world. It's, it's been pretty painful, I'll be honest with you. <laughs> There's been a lot of, lot of things that you would think would just transition over, and it's not quite that simple. What has been the most painful um, I would have to say uh, some of the synchronization for uh, some of the calendar functions that I do. I do a fair amount of coordination of events and uh, some of the exchange things are not quite plug and play as advertised. But overall, it's a better experience than I think on iPhone 4, which was my last foray into the iOS world, which lasted about a week and a half and I dumped it. <laughs> <laughs> I was a longtime BlackBerry guy, but uh, so I'm getting by, getting by. Are you connecting to a PC or an Apple? No, or? I'm I'm uh, I'm Mac all the way through. So so it's not improved your life because you're plugging an iOS into a Mac versus an Android. I mean, I would think that that would make things more compatible. It, it has in certain ways. So in the in the context of uh, photos, video, and uh, usability, certainly. But in terms of business applications and some access things, it's a little bit tougher. Remember, I'm a security guy. You're a security guy. Well, and I also think tech guy. Like, you should be able to navigate your yeah. way through all these things and, like, program your VCR. Exactly. It's a, it's a little locked down, but uh, it's, it's good. I'm getting by. So, to Phil's point, he is a security guy. And I'll let him describe a little bit about what he does on the day-to-day -to, -day to all of our listeners. And I brought him on the show today because we talk a lot about food tech, new things that are being invented payment systems, reservation platforms. And we don't often talk to the restaurants or the business owners who need to start using them and implement them. And I would hazard a guess to say that most chefs and restaurant and food people, when they get ready to open a new business or start a business, they're thinking about making an amazing product, making great pizza or coffee, creating a great atmosphere for their staff and their customers 
And they're thinking about all the wonderful and really important things you need in a great restaurant. My guess is they're not quite thinking so much about who owns their payment token and different security systems and things like that. So we have Phil on today to sort of do, a, for him, what will be a very uh, fundamental just sort of security business system boot camp and kind of walk us through step by step the things that you would think about and consider as you get ready to open a business and hopefully do it in a way that is efficient effective and in this day and age safe and secure because you know i mean the french laundry website got hacked so people could post you know their own personal political messages heritage radio we got hacked everybody gets hacked you know all the time for no reason at all other than sometimes it's there and it's just like a challenge yeah so let me give a little bit of background to anybody who's listening so jennifer we were introduced uh through tech table which was a event uh from september 10th this past september and we had a wonderful episode um this summer with the founders of tech table so if you are on the tech bytes page scroll back to one of the earlier episodes with the founders so that was just a, a great forum, and, and we were very happy to present there. Um, and it really brought together um, the high-end hospitality and fine dining um, experience and where the gaps are in technology. I spend a lot of time at technology shows in retail and in hospitality. And most of the large uh, hospitality technology vendors really don't appeal to this segment. There's nothing really out there that really gets into the high-touch um, component of fine dining and tech table was really a, a great way to kind of narrow the discussion and bring it down to what are the key things that we're, we're all trying to get to which is customer engagement guest engagement um, and being able to connect to the guest and the concept of frictionless payments and and from my perspective it was a very well executed event and it brought together all of the things that that new restaurant operators should be considering it we discussed infrastructure, right, which is something that's probably very foreign to a lot of new business owners. You know, if I'm trying to open a brand new restaurant, I may not be thinking about, you know, the the internal wiring inside of my new restaurant and how I'm going to, um, you know, provision Wi-Fi and all these other things. And what vendor should I be talking to? And how do I how do I make the business case for restaurant two through three through ten through X to scale appropriately? And Tech Table, what Tech Table really was able to demonstrate is that you know there's a lot of commonality across all of fine dining, and a lot of operators are wrestling with the same challenges in terms of integrating all of these great services. There's all these fantastic opportunities to have reservation systems and payment systems, and you know you can't do all of it at once. You can't hit every single one of these opportunities. So how do you do this, and what what is the requirement to really bring this stuff into the restaurant, and how do you do it? How, and going forward, how do you evaluate all the new restaurant exactly. tech companies and products and services that are walking in the door every day, yeah. pitching their services to the owners? Right, exactly. And that's what it's come down to is the time to market in, in hospitality, in retail, has been dramatically shortened. So your expectation, my expectation, and business owners' expectations are that they can just plug these new applications in and bing, bang, boom, I'm up on my latest reservation app and I should be able to plug in any technology I want. And the reality is the people that run these systems and are kind of charted within these these companies, even if they may be single operators or if they start to get uh, larger in terms of uh, total sites, is I don't necessarily have the budgets. I don't necessarily have the time or resources to implement every single system out there. Or the knowledge or expertise. Absolutely. I mean, there's a reason why being a tech person, technology officer, software, hardware, those are separate professions that require expertise that are very different from being an amazing bread baker or a great maitre d' or a wonderful sommelier or bartender. So... People starting businesses are experts in something that's very different. So even to just begin to navigate it um, is, I think, very overwhelming. Combined with, I often think that business owners don't always marry their day-to-day experience as a consumer in life. 
we start the show every day talking about apps and we talk about apps like Cover and Resi and Apple Pay and Android Pay and all these different things. We're used to that as customers. And then people put on their business owner hat and then maybe they're not offering the same services or platforms that they themselves would use in life because there's also this weird divide between what you do in life and then what you do as Absolutely. a business sometimes. Yeah, I think it's just it's unrealistic to think that most you know, small hospitality owners can employ a network engineer, a security architect, and, and quite rightly so. You shouldn't need all of this infrastructure to run a single operation. But the problem between site number one and site number X becomes exponential. And as soon as you start introducing these new technologies, you can't be a master of all trades. You just can't be a jack of all trades in, in all things IT, just like you can't be a jack of all trades in, in all things in hospitality. So that discipline of understanding how to implement systems the right way and scale becomes very, very important. So let's start at the very beginning. Um, you know, somebody's going to start an a new business, a new restaurant, the first thing they're going to look at is turning on the lights, turning on a phone line, sure. turning on Wi-Fi, turning on, you know, their different systems. Where do you start in terms of what your considerations are for these things? So you can, even if you are just opening one shop now, if you do have plans to open one or two down the street later. Sure. So I think, you know, this to me is kind of a bottoms up approach. It's it's infrastructure and it's the it's the you've gotta have the correct rails to run the applications that you plan on using. So for a single operator just opening the doors, I doubt that there's gonna be um, a significant amount of immediate integration. But you need to make sure that the you've got the necessary bandwidth, you've got the necessary uh, provider from an internet service provider perspective, you've got some level of data security. And that's where it gets complex is all of a sudden now I'm managing a firewall and I'm trying to open this restaurant. I'm not, I don't have time to write firewall rules or determine inbound connectivity coming in from uh, various people trying to read my systems. Forget about you know PCI and, and we'll talk about that in a second and, and cardholder data and, and breach data. I'm just talking about securing the environment because some kid may walk in and just because he can, he can get on your Wi-Fi, he can connect to your network and bring you down just because he can. So when you say securing your environment, describe in very simple terms sure. what that environment is for a small business. Because so, I, I mean, when you think about it, you think yeah. about it in terms of what you do when you're at home, you're going to call cable or some other Absolutely. internet provider, they're going to come in, you're going to get a little router maybe to make it Wi-Fi. Yeah, so that's what we're talking about. We're talking about a single operation. So we're looking at connectivity. So that's your your Optimum, your Verizon. You've got some broadband provider bringing in a router. And then you've got something securing that traffic. So you're usually putting something behind that, some kind of firewall that's basically only allowing certain transactional data or, or information data going to certain applications on the outside world. And then you've got your POS application. So that can take a lot of different flavors. So right? POS is point of sale? POS is point of sale, sir. So um, in terms of what type of application and also what hardware. Are you going to run it on a fixed position register? Are you going to have an iPad? There's so many new entrants into the market for, for iOS and iPad type applications that seem very simple and they they come to single unit and and maybe the small to medium business market and it's a very simple solution and it may give them 60 70 80 percent of what they need out of the gate in terms of um, provisioning uh, materials right for food products and, and different kind of inventory requirements and being able to transact sales and close table checks and deal with guest information and process credit cards but you close the door on a lot of integration points with some of those providers. And that's a very, that's a very important thing because I think as a single unit operator or as a, as a unit operator where I've got a limited number of sites, once I start making those application choices, if I haven't done the due diligence to understand what exactly am I giving up in terms of security and also in terms of integration for different payment types and reservation apps, that's where things can kind of get a little bit off the rails. For you, what are the top five things that are most important Ooh. that a restaurant maintain control and ownership of? Or top three? Let's see. Top three. Um, for me, top three. Number one would be the payment environment. I think that there's... Um, 
from, and we talked about this before, Jennifer, and you, and you brought up the payment token. So let's kind of go through that because that's a very important point. So from a payments perspective, um, when you call your acquirer, your acquirer is your, your Chase Merchant Services, right? Your First Data Merchant Services or Vantif, whoever your bank is that you're doing business with as a company. And you say, you know, I want to I want to do integrated credit cards. I want to be able to accept credit cards in my location. They're going to say, well, you've got some options. You can take a standalone device, a regular pin pad like you would see at many dry cleaners or other hospitality operations, which is disconnected. It's not connected to your point of sale system. It's a standalone device. That's that little That's plastic little thing with the plastic pen that has the keypad on it that you swipe your card. Exactly. Usually doesn't have the pen because usually those things don't accept signature, but they're usually nowadays, right, with, with EMV, and we can get to that in a second too. But these are standalone payment devices that you see all over the place where you can take your credit card that now has your little chip on it. Everybody's got their, their little chip on their card as of October 1. It's very European. It is extremely European. <laughs> and is dipping or swiping the card through that terminal, and it goes out through either a an internet connection connected to that router or it goes out over a cellular connection and gets an approval. Very simple, right? And so that that piece of equipment is not connected to the not restaurant connected. system. It's connected to the bank system. Connected to the bank system. It's programmed with you as a merchant, as a hospitality merchant, as Roberta's Pizza. I've, I've got the merchant ID programmed into that device before it ships and lands here. So when I swipe my credit card or I dip my credit card, that data is going directly to the acquirer that is signed up and, and owns the merchant ID for Roberta's. And the approval's happening. So what do you lose in that scenario? What you lose is you're now using a major acquirer kind of gateway to get your transaction across, right? So you're paying a certain percentage interchange. You're paying a certain percentage for that transaction to get processed. And you also are not integrated to your point of sale system. So from a guest experience, it's not the greatest because it may be transparent because at Roberta's, when I'm sitting down having lunch, it may be transparent to me if I hand my credit card over to to a server and the server takes it in the back room. They may be taking the, the actual final table check number off the point of sale system and then manually hand keying it onto the device. In a more integrated environment, that's that's a real problem from a from a financial reconciliation process. So what you're losing is that integrated experience where you can bring that out to the customer. Because in a EMV world with our new fancy European chip type cards. That is now a card present transaction, meaning when you're when Jennifer's sitting at the table at Roberta's and you want to pay for your check, I I can't take your card now and process that transaction for you. Right? That's a card present transaction. So it creates some challenges. And I think the other piece at higher volumes and owners that are at larger scale, the back end data, meaning the token, and the token is a numeric representation of the card number. So your credit card has 16 digits on it or 15 digits of an American Express. When you process that with the bank, you have the option of receiving that data back as a unique number. So every time Jennifer goes into Roberta's or um, into, let's say Roberta's had a few other locations, I would get the same distinct number back for Jennifer every time you went into the restaurant, which would give me a really nice way to connect with you and also identify you as a, as a customer. Repeat business, knowing who your exactly. customers are, knowing what they like, how they order, how many you have, exactly. all of that type of information is really critical Absolutely. for any business to try to figure out how they're doing and how they can do better. Exactly. So it's engagement. It's, it's incentivizing. There's so many use cases, right? And as the mobile wallets change and as the engagement turns into a mobile discussion, it's very, very important. Well, we are going to take a little break right now, and we're going to talk about all these different applications for the user engagement information. We're going to go out on the break and we're going to hear some music from Keto, the original Declan. And the name of this one is called Neptune by Keto. Be right back. National Culinary Center is a proud sponsor of the HeritageRadioNetwork.org. The ICC, with locations in New York and California, 
provide cutting-edge education to future chefs, restaurateurs, and wine professionals. We're proud to claim Dan Barber, Bobby Flay, and David Chang among our honored alumni. This is Dorothy Can Hamilton from Chef Story. Check out our ICC website at internationalculinarycenter.com. Well, if you're wondering what the hell you clicked on, this is Tech Bytes from HeritageRadioNetwork.org, the weekly show where we talk about the intersection of food and technology. And today that technology is restaurant system technology. And we are speaking with Phil Stead from Reliant Solutions, and he's walking us through um, on a very top line level some of the different considerations business owners need to think about when they start to build their payment internet system so that they can a be secure and b really be able to own and gather information that will be beneficial to their business so we're talking about um, the payment token and where that transaction happens if your bank provider owns your payment token they will also own all of the transactional information if you own your payment token you will own all the transactional information, which means every independent credit card, when that's used again and again, you'll be able to track that. My credit card at Roberta's, every time I use it, they would know. They would know details about you know the amount, the days, the time. And they would be able to start to build a nice profile either around me as a repeat customer or just generally around who the people are in their business, what the averages are, what you know, how many times they're coming and going. And all of that is really important when you own a business and want to understand it and then make it the best it can be to attract the people who are coming. Yeah. So I think in the last segment, we talked about what are the options. So the first option we talked about is, look, if I call my acquirer, my Bank of America, my Chase Payment Tech, my Vantive, that's a solution is they can give you standalone, non-integrated terminals that sit adjacent to your point of sale system. The other option is if you're a more sophisticated hospitality operator and you're using an off-the-shelf, and by off-the-shelf I mean a POS point of sale application that is something that is widely used. So if you go to most restaurants and bars, you see a few different names. You see NCR, you see Micros, right now Oracle, and there's a few other ones. Um, so if you're using one of these applications, you've got some integration opportunities. You've got the ability to speak to a device and have a conversation between the point-of-sale application and a separate terminal. And that enables that integration where now I'm not necessarily – I may still be going direct to the acquirer to send my transactional data, but I have some other options. And when, when you start talking about owning the token – and what that can really drive in terms of loyalty and guest engagement. Um, I think that it's hard to recognize that opportunity as a smaller merchant. I think that's a, more for a larger merchant because the economies of scale are that much more expensive. When you say larger merchant, what do you mean? Um, so the technologies that allow you to build kind of that ecosystem to capture that card data and start using it for your own mobile applications. There's a level of sophistication and there's a there's a financial kind of capital expense to get into that. And I think for some smaller um, some smaller hospitality merchants that may be uh, a little bit too much to absorb out of the gate. So when you talk about small and large, are you talking about sales annual sales per year? Millions of dollars? Are you talking well, about numbers of customers? That's what, a good what, question. What, what metric are you using to determine small and large? And then within those metrics, what is your line of demarcation? Sure. So, you know, most so the bank, uh, the acquirer tokenization platforms that, that are out there, they it's not for free. They're out there to make money. It's in their best interest to have you use that because they charge you each time you swipe a new card or you use an existing card. That transaction, that request to that gateway, um, they charge you a fractional cent or a couple of cents to do that. So as a hospitality merchant, I'm going to pay every time I tokenize a new customer card, a new guest card. So there's an ongoing cost. But if I look at the, the number of total transactions, not dollars, but volume, that may be a cost that may be acceptable to some organizations because they simply 
don't have that many transactions at the end of the day. If we're talking, you know, five, six hundred transactions a day, you know, we're talking very small volumes in terms of credit cards. When you're talking about a large QSR or a larger operation for hospitality where they're doing, you know, hundreds of thousands of transactions a day or millions a day, which is, we've got a few customers in that realm. What is a QSR? Is a quick serve restaurant. Sorry, you keep correcting me with that. I'm no, sorry. I'm not correcting. I'm <laughs> no, asking. Right. There's a lot of people who are going to no, wonder what absolutely. all of those things are. You're such an expert in the field that yeah. So I think we want to keep up with you. No, no problem. So um, I think that the the challenge is that the options for integration become complicated, and they become complicated around the agreement you have with your acquirer. So as a hospitality merchant, you know there's plenty of independent service organizations are called ISOs that resell bank services. So you'll get somebody coming through the door and saying, hey, I'm reselling Vantif. You know, I'm selling their platform and I'm going to sell you merchant processing as Roberta's Pizza or as Hospitality Merchant X. And you sign up with them and all they're doing is really reselling another party's third party solution and they're just tacking on a margin. And I think that's a very dangerous scenario. We see that in in hospitality. We see a lot of really well-known brands in the hospitality space where they're not going direct to the actual acquirers. They're using these third-party providers. Why? What's the benefit or the appeal of using a third-party? I think they financially incentivize them out of the gate. I think usually there's a financial incentive to do it. I think it's a lot of. I think. Go back 10 years. I think this was all about relationships. I think this was a – it was almost like the insurance game, mm-hmm. right? You can buy insurance from anybody. You're going to buy it from somebody you trust, right? So you find a merchant provider who makes you feel like, yes, I'm getting some value add for my business. I'm going to go with this guy. And when you start looking at what hospitality merchants pay for swipe fees versus equivalent businesses in retail, it's really astronomical. Hospitality merchants pay far more – in swipe fees, you know, the I think I saw a stat from restaurant.org. The average swipe fee in, in hospitality is somewhere in the ballpark of 4.36%. In a business where, you know, pre-tax margins are somewhere in 3 5%, or ballpark. So it, that's really high. What's the equivalent? On, what's the comparable percentage ha- on retail? Less than half of that. So restaurants are getting charged twice as much? In some cases. In some instances on the swipe or fees. Or more. Yeah. Why is that? I think it's because the, the if, you, if you look at hospitality as an industry from a technology perspective, there really hasn't been a tremendous amount of change. There's three or four large providers for systems that are out there today, and they've got good products. Um, but I think that with the advent of some of these new technology providers that are trying to find a way to kind of bolt in and provide that guest experience for reservation, you know, the concept of frictionless payments, right? The, and like we were saying before, Jennifer, the, the concept that everyone's got an app, everyone's got the amazing tech that they want to deliver to a guest experience. But the reality is, is that it's not quite that simple because you're dealing with these very old, and when I say old, I'm talking 10 or 15 year old SQL database, like these are operating. What's a SQL database? A C- so that's a that's a it's a uh, it's a product by Microsoft that is a relational database that basically allows you as a application provider to store data, right? So some of these applications for hospitality have, you know, you need a PC like you would have at home. If you go back ten years, you'd have a big Dell or HP PC, and it's running with a big fan in it, and it's running the this big really hard drive. big hard drive, the tower. right? Yeah, it's a it's what we call a monolithic, you know. Uh, there's a few other words for it too, but it's it's a it's a you know it's a thick piece of hardware. It's running a, a a large operating system. It's got heavy requirements on memory, on RAM, on utilization. It's not efficient, and these applications have not really evolved. And there's plenty of merchants out there today, plenty of hospitality merchants that are struggling with what does their next technology investment look like because why would I go back and re-up on new physical hardware when I can go to a a, a sleek profile, something that's really nice looking for the guest and has great credit integration. This is the opportunity to make that change. And perhaps is up in the cloud. Absolutely. It's one of the buzzwords now. Everything needs to be in the cloud. I think that comes with its own challenges. So I think when you start looking at cloud, 
uh, and start talking about where merchant IDs live, this is where things get complex. So from a data security perspective, um, the merchant ID, your merchant ID as a hospitality merchant that you have for every single one of your sites is the line of demarcation for where your perimeter security begins and ends. It, it ends with that. So when you have cloud providers, and actually a tech table, I was, I was speaking to a gentleman from a third-party hospitality provider, and what they do is they basically have a reservation system um, that runs in the cloud, and they bolt into a whole bunch of different point-of-sale systems, but they have the merchant ID in their cloud. So their infrastructure has your merchant ID, and they're processing against your merchant ID using your transactional data inside of your restaurant. So let's go through that. So your restaurant has a piece of software sitting in it that's taking data out of your table orders with your customer information, and it's passing it through a web portal, which may or may not be secure, up through the cloud, right? It's being absorbed by this other third-party application, which may or may not be secure, which has your merchant ID on it, which is processing your customer data and your cardholder data. So from a data security perspective, that's kind of where we look at things. And from my company's perspective, when we look at new hospitality, we do what's kind of an, what's considered an environment characterization. And we try and figure out where all of these applications are that are storing, processing, and transmitting cardholder data. And that's a very important thing. The merchant ID is a very important thing because no matter how you've got your network security set up, that is where it defines. So you could do everything correctly. You could have all your network security right if I put my merchant ID in the hands of a third-party provider and allow them to process customer data, my customer's card numbers, using my merchant ID on an on a insecure system, I am putting my own brand, my own reputation, and liability with the card brands, Visa, MasterCard, Amex, Discover, JCB, at risk. That's the reality, and that's, that's the world a lot of large hospitality uh, merchants live in. It's sort of... When you think about your own personal internet security and yeah. the things that you think about when you make transactions online or off of your phone every day, multiply that by a million, and yeah. then that's sort of a look at all the different steps and layers of security yeah. and potential for other people to exactly. be looking at or using or utilizing or seeing your information. Yeah, and I, th I think something we were just saying before, I think the challenge is as soon as you go from hospitality owner site one to site X and you've got multiple sites, you have a legitimate need to understand your guest. You need to be able to mine that data from these systems and make the best use of it because you may not have the capital budget that some of these big guys do, right? So the second you start looking at well, how do I get the analytics out of these systems that I've invested in? I'm, I'm a one-unit operation. I want to understand where my best customers are coming from. I want to engage with those guests. I want to be able to promote and incentivize them. And there's plenty of applications out there that will sit on top of your point of sale and on top of other applications. But the reality is some of those are highly non-compliant. And when I say non-compliant, they're basically just reaching into databases, grabbing data, and pushing it up to somewhere. And when you start breaking that conversation apart, this is where there's been tremendous breaches in hospitality. Hospitality is fraught with with this kind of, you know, this kind of misuse and, and data breaches because of these kinds of scenarios. Everyone in the studio has these really big eyes, like we're watching, you know, the trailer for the disaster movie. You know, like the potential. Yeah. You know, when like reaching into a database and pulling out information and taking it somewhere, it's yeah. like, oh, my gosh. On the one hand, you think of the Internet as being the repository for completely useless and forgettable pieces of information and photos and things and comments and quotes. But it's also the repository for really critical, important things, Absolutely. especially when you're talking about buying and selling and financial transactions. Absolutely. Yeah. How do you. It's so much when, when you just think about your personal day-to-day -day transactions and how you navigate decisions and security, which apps and things you do you use Apple Pay, do you use Cover, do you Resi, do you use Android Pay, a business owner is making those kinds of decisions on a, on a much, much larger scale and then being bombarded with things like Square and you know all of the different new technologies. Where does somebody start 
making these evaluations and making these decisions because it is also just a rabbit hole you could go down and be clicking through more and more recommendations details horror stories what not to do hacking stories in the news that in in the the half hour that we've been talking i'm already having anxiety about oh my god like what would i do if you know i was opening a restaurant i don't even know how i would begin so the so you got to look at it from um if you look at it from a uh, data security perspective. You really need to understand the cash inter- only. Yeah, just cash only. Absolutely, cigar box. Cash based only. On that. Everybody fills out a customer <laughs> card. Yeah, but put, the, take Polaroids. So these these applications need to be really vetted out in terms of what's connecting to what. And I think you know the salespeople for some of these these applications um, oversell the integration capabilities, and I think they oversell their you know, and it's not really a a term used in hospitality, but it's omni-channel. In retail, that's a, that's a term that's used to kind of um, describe and, and characterize, you know, retail transactions versus call center versus catalog versus e-com. And hospitality's got the same kind of thing. I want to be able to connect with my guests on a variety of different platforms. I want to connect to them on social media. I want to connect to them through reservation apps. I may want to launch an app and send, you know, stories and you know, different things to make them engage back with me again. And today, many restaurants, they have on-premise dining and experience. They also have websites where they're selling products and cookbooks. They have delivery services where they're having maybe some sort of online delivery application where people can plug in an order in their credit card and get delivery later. So even a simple standalone restaurant has potentially three or four different channels yeah. for transactions alone. Yeah, so I was actually you remind me of something and we and we didn't actually talk about this before the before the break, but um to kind of build on something that I was talking about at Tech Table, um I was actually doing a security an application and operations review uh for a West Coast hospitality merchant, pretty big one. Um very well known, um uh, still out there um and they had an e-commerce site and they would they would dry pack uh and ship uh, T-shirts, gift cards, and food, different types of products, seafood and, and steak and stuff. And we had done the characterization. We had looked at the network. We found a bunch of issues with the retail you know, portion of it, the freestanding restaurant stores, the firewalls, and all that stuff. So we went to the e-commerce site, which we were assured was kind of standalone, completely separate, not connected to anything. So... I'm looking at the site and I'm on the West Coast and um, I start, you know, looking at the pages and I'm looking at the website and the, you know, not to get too geeky for a second, but I'm looking at the site pages and the site pages didn't actually go back to the domain of where they were supposed to be coming from. They were being rendered by a different third party. So, you know, inquisitively, we start looking at all this stuff. So I start buying stuff on the site. I buy, I drop ship a whole bunch of fish, uh, a whole bunch of seafood, a whole bunch of steaks. I grab a bunch of T-shirts, gift cards. I rack up a $700 tab. When it comes time to check out, I plug in a fake Visa number. So the Visa number that I use is just a check digited number. So a check digited, all credit cards have a check digit, right? So the, the calculation on your credit card, the last digit is actually what's called a mod 10 check digit. It's a calculated digit. So I put in a number that passes the check digit and I click OK. And I get an approval back. I get an, an acceptance email sent to my email. So I said, that's awfully strange. You know, and I bring it to the e-com guys and they say, no, there's no way that order got processed. You know, that's just one of our checks we do in our fulfillment. No problem. So the next day my wife calls me from the East Coast, she says, I don't know what you're doing on the West Coast, but those people love you because we just got a ton of uh, steak and uh, seafood delivered here. So I went to the CIO and I said, I, you know, good news, bad news. Good news is your fulfillment is next day and it's phenomenal. The bad news is you're accepting fake credit card numbers and shipping based on that. So, right. So this, this website front end was accepting without validating that it was a legitimate, they weren't pre-authorizing the card and the third party was storing this data in the clear. So we basically, you know, in a matter of a day and a half, we basically brought down this entire e-com site. By act- and we really weren't trying to break it, but we found this stuff and we start digging around. And this is what you find. You find these, these service providers that oversell their capabilities. And I think hospitality owners and owners that entrust their technology to third-party 
um, outsourced IT operations, really need to take a good look at it and and take it for what it is. And, and maybe it's worth having somebody take a look at the environment and ensure that we're building things in a scalable, cost-effective way. So to go back to your you know analogy of um, you know doing business ten or fifteen years ago with an insurance company and doing business with someone that you trust, you know certainly the business world was very different back then. Even today, you buy you can buy insurance online without ever sure. talking to a person. You can do your banking without ever seeing a person. What's the sort of modern day equivalent of Better Business Bureau? How do you, as a small operator who maybe is too small to use a service yep. like Reliant, how do I, how do you vet that a company is doing a proper job? Is there a listing, a seal of approval? Do you just go with big brand names like Amazon? What about yeah. Square, all the new things? How do you even... Well, there are some select a, a company to even try and start to work with. I mean, in terms of the integrity, so from a, let's start from the security side of things, which is kind of where we started today. So from the security side of things, there's a few things that can be validated. Um, the first thing, and this is important, this is good information for any single unit operator that's trying to open a business and look at applications. You should check to make sure that any service provider, if you're paying for a monthly service for them to manage your infrastructure or your applications, it's an entirely um, allowable thing for you to ask to see if they're a level one visa-validated service provider. Okay, Visa maintains a site. And some of the smaller, like if you've got Joe's network and IT shop around the corner here on uh, on Morgan Ave, he, he may not be on there. But if you're dealing with anybody that has some type of scale, and you're even if you're a single operator, many of those companies will cater to you and give you a, a, a reasonable price to support their infrastructure, that is a legitimate question, a level one visa-validated service provider. That, in, that ensures that they have gone through a set of checks as a PCI validated level one service provider that they have gone through the checks to make sure that they are following certain rules as approved by Visa, right? Which is the largest card issuer in the world. And there's and you have to you have to be you have to pay to get that designation, but you also have to go through some pretty rigorous technical and you have to demonstrate a level of security and understanding. The other thing that is important would be to validate that your applications, your point-of-sale applications and any integrations have a PCI uh, validation, that they're PCI certified. Okay, so in the PCI word, PCI is the payment card industry, and the PCI DSS is the payment card industry data security standard. So the payment card industry data security standard is, is really um, a standard that was developed out of the breaches from e-commerce back in 2003, 2004, when Visa, MasterCard, Amex, Discover, and JCB all kind of linked arms and said, we've had enough of these massive e-com breaches. We're going to put some rules in place around how merchants, both hospitality, retail, and convenience stores, are going to maintain their networks. And that's where this all came from. So if you're buying an application and you're buying payment applications, you should make sure that they're PCI validated. Okay, and it's, it's actually called PADSS, Payment Application Data Security Standard Validated. Um, same thing goes with payment terminals. Uh, the payment terminals have what's called a PTS, a PIN Transaction Security Validation. Those are simple things to ask. And if you go to any one of the major banks, they're going to give you hardware that's compliant. It's how this stuff all gets connected and how you leverage it as a hospitality merchant that becomes kind of the, the complex piece and make it operational, right? Complex indeed. Yes, it is. <laughs> It is. <laughs> wow. I think we could do an entire season on business systems and business security because, you know, like so many things in life, it is very specific knowledge that you need. There's a reason why yeah. it's a job and a separate industry and is very important. And today, the way technology just changes so quickly from, you know, month to month. Once you get a handle on something, I think even in our personal tech space, once you figure out how to use your system, something gets upgraded or updated or there's something new or you change from uh, Android to yeah, uh, exactly. an Apple and then you know your whole world gets Upside thrown down. out of whack. I, I think the, the payment piece is very interesting though because I think most of the 
point-of-sale vendors, the payment application, uh, the point-of-sale vendors that are out there selling applications realize that you can buy my application once, but if you're paying a per-transaction fee, those contracts don't typically expire. You know, they're usually two-year, three-year, or longer terms. So there's a recurring revenue piece. So that's why it's, you've got to make sure that you're doing something that is extensible, that you can move on a dime. Because if you have, who knows where we're going to be, Jennifer, in 12 months, 18 months, there could be some brand new payment app that comes out and steals hospitality. And if you're the merchant that signed up with Acquirer X and you're not able to integrate that because you've got a, a payment terminal provided from the acquirer and you're not able to integrate to it, what are you going to do? Because all your younger customers, maybe based on demographic, maybe wanting to use that. Are you going to lose business? Maybe not. But this is the thing. This is the guest adoption crux of the issue, right? So keeping your options open, keeping an open infrastructure and architecture. And asking to see those certifications. Yes. I'll give them to you again. So there's a PCI DSS level one service provider validation for service providers. So if you're entrusting your infrastructure, um, the management of your firewalls, your routers, your Wi-Fi, that third party should have a validation. If you're buying or uh, leasing applications for point-of-sale payment applications, they should have a PADSS validation. And you can find these applications on the PCI standards website, and there's a, um, there's a PTS validation number, and it tells you when that license expires. These companies are required to renew these every few years and validate the encryption, the cryptography, the security of how they're storing your data is up to snuff in terms of what the requirements are. And, you know, these are simple things to check. I'm glad there's something about it that's simple that we can all get a handle on and at least know what to look for. Um, we are out of time, and it's a fascinating and important subject, even if it is kind of geeking out a little bit on the tech side, which we do every now and again on Tech Fights. I want to thank Phil Stead from Reliance Solutions for coming out and walking us through some of the fundamentals about transaction and Internet security for your business. Can I just say... Hi to my daughters. Hi, Jamie. Hi, Taylor. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> and your daughters can download it on iTunes. They're not downloading podcast. anything. No? They're seven and five. They're not oh, okay. downloading anything. Actually, they probably are. <laughs> <laughs> and I want to thank the guys in the booth, Jack and New Declan, for turning all the knobs and making it all happen. Thank Keto for the break music, International Culinary Center for sponsoring the show. Lots of famous chefs went there if you're thinking about becoming a famous chef. And I want to thank all of our listeners and members who support. If you love this show, come back next Monday at 1 p.m. If you really, really loved it, throw us some money and we'll make more. It's Jennifer Leutze for Tech Bites. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.